Today's read, Nile Valley Contributions to Civilization, written by Anthony T. Browder. Brought to you by the generous, generous, generous contribution to this podcast by Warren, a.k.a. Trailer Drummer on Instagram. Thank you so much. You gave me permission to say your name, and I want to say it out loud because this is a great pick, a great choice. I appreciate you. Let's go. Part 1, Chapter 3, Continued. The Great Temples of Waset. 400 miles south of modern-day Cairo, there exists a city once heralded as the seat of government for the most powerful nation in ancient times. The city was called Waset or Wose, a word in the ancient Kemetic language which meant the scepter. During the 18th and 19th dynasties, Wose was the center of an educational, spiritual, and architectural renaissance which continues to have a profound influence upon contemporary life. It has been said that more than 80% of the remains of ancient Kemet can be found in Wose. The tombs on the west bank of the city have yielded some of the greatest treasures in archaeological history, and the temples on the east bank are regarded as some of the most remarkable monuments ever created. So impressive was this great city that foreigners were often awestruck by its magnificence. The Greeks renamed this ancient city Thebes, and at one point even referred to it as the city of Zeus, the home of their great god. The Arabic name for Waset is Luxor, a word which means the palaces, and refers to the great temples the Arabs assumed to be palaces built for royalty. Eventually, the name Luxor was westernized to Luxor, which is the current name for the city and the origin of the word luxury. Two of the most magnificent temples in ancient Bose were the Shemait Ipet, the southern Ipet, which the Arabs called the Temple of Luxor, and the Ipet Isut, which is now called the Temple of Karnak. The Ipet Isut The temple of Ipet Isut Karnak was the largest complex ever constructed in ancient Kemet. It is nearly a quarter of a mile in length and consisted of a series of temples built over a period of nearly 2,000 years at the behest of numerous kings. Ipet Isut is an ancient Kemetic word which meant the most select of places or the holiest of places an obvious reference to the sacredness of this site. This temple also contains the largest colonnaded hall ever constructed. The colonnaded hall comprises 136 columns which stand in 16 rows. The central aisle of the temple contains 12 columns in two rows which are 69 feet in height. The papyrus-shaped capital adorning each of these 12 columns is large enough to accommodate a group of 100 men standing crowded atop it at the same time. 
This great hall measures 338 feet in width and 170 feet in length, and the area of its floor space is equal to that of the Cathedral of Notre Dame in Paris. The English astronomer Sir Norman Lockyer discovered that the axis of this temple was accurately oriented to the summer solstice and that the colonnaded hall was designed in such a manner as to funnel sunlight between the two rows of columns in a manner similar to that of a telescope. After numerous summer visits to Egypt, Lockyer's research revealed that the sun temple of Amun-Ra at Karnak was so perfectly aligned to the summer solstice that a beam of light coming through a narrow passage some 500 yards all the way to a properly oriented sanctuary would remain there no more than a couple of minutes then pass away. What's more, it would come in a crescendo and go in a diminuendo with an observable peak at the precise solstice. It is believed that this phenomenon allowed the astronomer slash priest of the temple to be able to determine the precise length of the year to within a minute or four points of a decimal, 365.2422, the Shemayet Ipet. The Ipet Isut and the Shemayet Ipet, the southern place, were connected to one another by a grand avenue of 2,000 sphinxes, which spanned a distance of two miles. These human-headed sphinxes bore the likeness of Amenhotep III, and once a year, this avenue was lined with thousands of people who witnessed the annual procession of a statue of Amon as it was carried by the temple priests from the Ipeti Sut to the southern Ipet. By contrast, the western entrance to Ipeti Sut Karnak Temple was lined with a long row of ram-headed sphinxes, and each statue had a small figurine of the king nestled between its paws. This, these ram-headed edifices represented represented the nature Amen, who was also referred to as Amun or Amon. This name means hidden, and refers to the hidden or unseen presence of God. This word is still used today at the conclusion of many prayers and is a lasting reminder of the powerful influence of ancient Kemetic religion. The southern Ipet is currently referred to as the Temple of Luxor, and it was originally dedicated to the Nechermut. The greater part of this building was constructed during the reign of Amenhotep III, circa 1380 BCE, but Ramesses II expanded upon the work of Amenhotep III by about a century later and added the great courtyard and an impressive outer pylon. Ramesses is more closely associated with this temple today because of the numerous statues bearing his likeness which now adorn it. Flanking the entrance to this temple are two colossal statues of Ramesses and one of an original pair of Tekken. Throughout the centuries, this temple has been the site of a great deal of religious activity. During the time of Amenhotep III, images were inscribed upon the walls of this temple, depicting the Annunciation, 
Immaculate Conception, Virgin Birth, and Adoration of the Comedic Trinity of Asar, Aset, and Heru. During the Coptic occupation, circa 450 A.C.E., a chapel was erected in the rear of the temple, and the original comedic images were covered with plaster and replaced with a mural of Jesus the Christ and the twelve disciples of the Last Supper. In the 12th century A.C.E., the mosque of Abu el Hagar was built among the rubble of the Luxor Temple, which was at that time buried under a minimum of 15 feet of sand and debris. This mosque makes for a most unusual sight today because its former entrance is now several yards above the current ground level of the temple. Because the mosque rests upon the foundation of this ancient temple, Egyptologists have petitioned for its removal so that the temple can be fully restored. Islamic leaders have fought such recommendations and have argued that the mosque has as much right to this sacred site as the temple. One of the most thorough and impressive analysis of Luxor Temple was provided by the Alsatian philosopher R. A. Schwaller de Lubitsch and his wife Isha. Mr. de Lubitsch was a highly respected mathematician and his wife was an accomplished Egyptologist and writer. Over a course of 15 years, 1937 to 1952, this husband and wife team, aided by their daughter, Lucy Lamy, measured, recorded, and drew every inch of the temple, including each stone, wall carving, and statue. Their research was compiled in three massive volumes entitled Le Temple de Homme, the temple in man. Their combined research suggested that the temple was dedicated to the creation of man and that the floor plan of the temple was representative of the anatomical structure of man. Lucy Lamy superimposed the skeletal framework of a statue of Ramesses II over the floor plan of the temple and discovered some interesting similarities. The open courtyard represents the legs. The hypostyl hall represents the thighs. The peristyle court represents the abdomen and the inner temple represents the head. Within each segment of the temple, activities took place which were related to specific body functions. In the hall that corresponds to the center of perception, there are designs that emphasize time, space, measurement and orientation. This hall also contains 12 columns which correspond to the 12 hours of the day. In the hall that corresponds to the mouth, we find written all the names of the Necheru and the creation of the god by Ptah via the spoken word. Under the chin, at the side of the vocal cords, the king is baptized and given his new name. It is also in this hall where we find the scene of the marriage of the mother of the king to the god. Amen. Through a skillful interpretation of the comedic medunetra, hieroglyphics, and symbolism, 
the Delubich family discovered that the architectural forms in Kemet embodied a level of knowledge they described as sacred science. This sacred science was regarded as the grand synthesis of Kemetic art, science, religion, philosophy, and architecture whose expression was unique with each pharaonic temple that was constructed. The significance of Tekken. For more than 4,400 years, the Great Pyramid held the distinction of being the tallest structure ever made by man. On December 6, 1884, another Nile Valley-inspired architectural structure was completed, which at 555 feet became the tallest man-made structure on the planet. This edifice was called the Washington Monument, and it was created as a tribute to the first president of the United States of America, but in reality, this monument was nothing more than a replica of an African Tekken. It has been estimated that the Ipet Isut contained as many as 64 Tekken, of which only two are currently standing. Of the two Tekken, which originally stood at the entrance to the southern Ipet, only one remains. Its companion was given as a gift to King Louis-Philippe of France in 1836 by Muhammad Ali of Turkey in exchange for a clock which never worked. This relocated Tekken now stands at the eastern end of the Champs-Élysées in the Place de la Concorde Square of Peace in Paris, France. During the reign of Tutmos III, circa 1450 BCE, two Tekken were erected at the entrance of the Temple of Re at Heliopolis. They were moved to Alexandria around 10 BCE by the Romans, and in the 1870s, they were given as gifts to the United States and Great Britain. One now stands in Central Park in New York City, and the other was erected along the Thames River in London. Currently, there are 13 Tekken in Rome, including one which stands in St. Peter's Square in the Vatican. Tekken may also be found in Turkey, Germany, and many other locations throughout the world. The European fascination with Tekken dates back to the times when the Greeks first visited Kemet. They referred to these monuments as obelisks. Dr. Labib Habachi discusses this topic in greater detail in his publication, The Obelisks of Egypt, Skyscrapers of the Past. Obelisks were known to the ancient Egyptians as Tekken, a word whose derivation is unknown. When the Greeks became interested in Egypt, both obelisks and pyramids attracted their attention. To the former, they gave the name obelisks, from which the modern name in almost all languages is derived. Abeliskos is a Greek diminutive meaning small spit. It was applied to obelisks because of their tall, narrow shape. In Arabic, the term is mesala, which means a large patching needle and again has reference to the object's form. The symbolic significance of the Tekken has undergone interpretations over the ages. 
Originally, this structure was associated with Osar, Osiris, as referenced in Volume 2 of The Gods of the Egyptians by E.A. Wallace Budge. Isis was never able to recover the privy member of Osiris, which, having been thrown into the Nile immediately upon its separation from the rest of the body, in order, however, to make some amends for the loss, Isis consecrated the phallus, made an imitation of it, and instituted a solemn festival to its memory. From the earliest of times, the Tekken represented the regenerative powers of Osar and his resurrection after death. In later years, Tekken were associated with the Ben-Ben stone and the Bennu bird. The Bennu bird was said to be self-regenerating, and like its namesake, the phoenix, it would live for 500 years, consume itself in a ball of flames, and later arise from the ashes to live for another 500 years. It was also believed that the Tekken were meant to resemble the rays of the sun, Oftentimes, the pyramidians, capstones of the Tekken, were covered with gold or silver or some combination of the two metals in order to reflect the light of the sun. The date that Tekken were first erected is not known, but it is believed that the kings of the 5th dynasty, 2494 to 2345 BCE, who were fervent worshippers of the sun nature, may have been the first kings to erect these monuments. Two Tekken often flanked the entrances to temples, and their presence was representative of the complementary male and female aspects of the nature. The Tekken was a massive monument, which was carved from a single block of stone. Most were made from highly polished granite and inscribed with meadow nature, which recorded the accomplishments of the ruler who was responsible for their construction. These structures were also used as timekeeping devices and the length of their shadow was measured to determine the time of day. These early sundials also played a key role in ascertaining the precise moment of the solstice and the equinox. No records have survived which explain how Tekken were quarried, moved, or erected. The tallest Tekken currently standing in Egypt can be found in the temple of Ipet-Isut. It was erected during the reign of Hatshepsut, 1473-1458 BCE. It is 97 feet high and weighs an estimated 320 tons. A survey of Nile Valley education. Every temple built in Kemet was designed to certain specifications and oriented to a specific celestial body. Each temple was decorated with elaborate wall carvings that were painted in brilliant colors. Most temples contained numerous statues. Some were life-size and others were several stories high. It's quite obvious that in order to create a temple, a vast array of skilled technicians was required for the planning, construction, and maintenance of each edifice. 
These individuals had to be skilled in math, architecture, engineering, drafting, painting, sculpture, art, design, and a number of assorted disciplines. In order to facilitate the enormous demand for such technicians, institutions had to be established in order to train them. Within these institutions, there also had to exist a faculty with specialists in various fields of study along with a support staff. Of course, there had to be administrators who were responsible for maintaining the infrastructure necessary for the continued existence of each institution. Numerous records exist which show that the Africans in the Nile Valley, particularly those in ancient Kemet, had created such an educational system, the likes of which have yet to be duplicated. Every temple in Kemet had vast libraries equipped with thousands of papyrus scrolls, which contained dissertations on law, medicine, philosophy, and numerous other subjects. Isaac Meyer, in the publication Oldest Books in the World, gives an account of the libraries of the Old Kingdom. In one of the tombs at Giza, a great functionary of the 6th dynasty takes the title of Governor of the House of Books. This simple mention thrown incidentally between two or more elevated titles would be sufficient in fault of others coming to show us the extraordinary development <clears throat> at the time of Egyptian civilization. Not only had they a literature, but that literature was also large enough to fill libraries. Its importance was so great that to one of the functionaries of the court was especially attached the preservation of the Royal Library. In 1984, at the Nile Valley Conference, Dr. Asa Hilliard presented a paper on the comedic concepts in education and cited the significance of Ipet Isut as a center of learning during the 18th dynasty. It was both a center of religion and education, since the two could not be separated in the minds of the Kemites. It housed an elite faculty of priest professors. It has been estimated that at one time, there were more than 80,000 students at all grade levels studying at Ipet Isut University, Abdullah, 1984. Temples were at the center of religion, politics, and education. The faculty were called Herseta, or Teachers of Mysteries, and were divided into departments, Meyer, 1900, as follows. 1. Mystery Teachers of Heaven, Astronomy and Astrology. 2. Mystery Teachers of All Lands, Geography. 3. Mystery Teachers of the Depths, Geology. 4. Mystery Teachers of the Secret Word, philosophy and theology, and five, mystery of Pharaoh and mystery teachers who examined words, law, and communication. Much has been written about the mystery schools of the Nile Valley, but one important factor must be remembered. These schools and the subjects taught within them were a mystery only to those who were unfamiliar with that system of education the purpose of education in the Nile Valley was to create a society 
where the citizens would understand the relationship which existed between themselves and the universe. In the truest sense of the word, the educational centers in the Nile Valley were the first universities. Upon closer examination of the complexities of Nile Valley education, one can begin to understand why they were called quote-unquote mystery schools by the many foreigners who came there seeking enlightenment. Medicine. The Edwin Smith Papyrus is the oldest medical treatise in existence and it is believed to have been written in the 18th dynasty circa 1550 BCE. Many regard this papyrus as a copy of an original document that was created as early as the first dynasty. Depending on what timeline one uses to date the first dynasty of Kemet, this medical text could have been written as early as 4200 or as late as 3100 BCE. In any event, the appearance of a highly sophisticated text had to have been preceded by hundreds of years of observation, research, and refinement. The ancient physicians-slash-priests of the Nile Valley were said to have been instructed in temples which were called Per Ankh. In today's language, they would have been called the House of Life. Of the thousands of medical papyri originally written, less than a dozen have been discovered, and of that number, the Ebers papyrus and the Edwin Smith papyrus are deemed the most profound. The Edwin Smith Papyrus was published in 1930 by James Henry Breasted, who had spent 10 years translating the document. This papyrus describes 48 different injuries to the head, face, neck, thorax, and spinal column and the appropriate surgical methods for attending to them. It is suspected that the 18th Dynasty scribe who was responsible for copying the original text, only wrote the first 48 cases dealing with the upper third of the body. There are more than 90 anatomical terms referenced in the Edwin Smith Papyrus, and there are more than 200 terms listed in various Nile Valley medical literature. This papyrus is also of great importance because of its use of the word brain and references to the neurological relationship between the brain spinal cord and nervous system, and the body. The Ebers Papyrus, circa 1500 BCE, explores a broad range of medical science and includes chapters on the pulse and cardiovascular system, dermatology, dentistry, gynecology, ophthalmology, obstetrics, tumors, burns, fractures, intestinal disorders, and much more. There is also considerable evidence that physicians in Kemet practiced circumcision, brain surgery, and were extremely well-versed in gynecology and obstetrics. By 2000 BCE, physicians in Kemet had already created an effective organic chemical contraceptive. This product consisted of acacia spikes honey and dates, which were mixed in a specific ratio and inserted into the vagina. Modern science has since discovered that acacia spikes contain lactic acid, 
which is a natural chemical spermicide. Pregnancy and fetal sex tests were conducted by Nile Valley physicians who soaked bags of wheat and barley in a sample of a woman's urine. Urine from a pregnant woman was known to accelerate the growth of certain plants. If the barley sprouted, it meant that the woman was pregnant and was going to give birth to a female child. And if the wheat sprouted, it meant that she would give birth to a male child. The urine pregnancy test was not rediscovered by modern science until 1926, and the wheat slash barley sex determination test was not developed until 1933. Medicine. The Edwin Smith Papyrus is the oldest medical treatise in existence, and it is believed to have been written in the 18th dynasty circa 1550 BCE. Many regard this papyrus as a copy of an original document that was created as early as the First Dynasty, depending on what timeline one uses to date the First Dynasty of Kemet. This medical text could have been written as early as 4200 or as late as 3100 BCE. In any event, the appearance of a highly sophisticated text had to have been preceded by hundreds of years of observation, research, and refinement. The ancient physician-slash-priests of the Nile Valley were said to have been instructed in temples which were called Per'ankh. In today's language, they would be called the House of Life. Of the thousands of medical papyri originally written, less than a dozen have been discovered, and of that number, the Ebers papyrus and the Edwin Smith papyrus are deemed the most profound. The Edwin Smith Papyrus was published in 1930 by James Henry Breasted, who had spent 10 years translating the document. This papyrus describes 48 different injuries to the head, face, neck, thorax, and spinal column, and the appropriate surgical methods for attending to them. It is suspected that the 18th Dynasty scribe who was responsible for copying the original text, only wrote the first 48 cases dealing with the upper third of the body. There are more than 90 anatomical terms referenced in the Edwin Smith Papyrus, and there are more than 200 terms listed in various Nile Valley medical literature. This papyrus is also of great importance because of the use of the word brain and references to the neurological relationship between the brain, spinal cord, and nervous system, and the body. The Ebers Papyrus, circa 1500 BCE, explores a broad range of medical science and includes chapters on the pulse and cardiovascular system, dermatology, dentistry, gynecology, ophthalmology, obstetrics, tumors, burns, fractures, intestinal disorders, and much more. There is also considerable evidence that physicians in Kemet practiced circumcision, brain surgery, and were extremely well-versed in gynecology and obstetrics. By 2000 BCE, physicians in Kemet had already created an effective organic chemical contraceptive. This product consisted of acacia spikes, honey and dates, which were mixed in a specific ratio and inserted into the vagina. 
Modern science has since discovered that acacia spikes contain lactic acid, which is a natural chemical spermicide. Pregnancy and fetal sex tests were conducted by Nile Valley physicians who soaked bags of wheat and barley in a sample of a woman's urine. Urine from a pregnant woman was known to accelerate the growth of certain plants. If the barley sprouted, it meant that the woman was pregnant and was going to give birth to a female child, and if the wheat sprouted, it meant that she would give birth to a male child. The urine pregnancy test was not rediscovered by modern science until 1926, and the wheat slash barley sex determination test was not developed until 1933. In 1987, the National Academy of Sciences published a report by the National Academy of Engineers entitled Lasers, Invention to Application. This publication featured on its cover a photograph of a Stella of Akhenaten and his wife, Nefertiti, basking in the soothing rays of the sun disk, the Aten. The cover art is quite interesting because one of the rays of sunlight is chromatically highlighted so as to give the suggestion of a laser beam. In a chapter titled Lasers in Medicine, the author, Rodney Perkins, M.D., suggests that a form of laser therapy was actually used in the Nile Valley. Dr. Perkins states that the use of the laser in medicine and surgery has a relatively short pedigree of less than two decades, although the range of laser radiation extends both below and above the visible portion of the electromagnetic spectrum. Electromagnetic spectrum, that radiation is, in a sense, only a special form of light. The use of other forms of light in medicine has a longer history. There is documentation that the ancient Egyptians recognized and used the therapeutic power of light as long as 6,000 years ago. Patches of depigmented skin, now referred to as vitiligo, were cosmetically undesirable. Egyptian healers reportedly crushed a plant similar to present-day parsley and rubbed the affected areas with the crushed leaves. Exposure to the sun's radiation produced a severe form of sunburn only in the treated areas. The erythema subsided, leaving hyperpigmentation in the previously depigmented areas. Residents of the Nile Valley who often journeyed in caravans across the desert were advised to chew a root called Ami Majos, which provided extra protection from the intense sun by increasing the amount of melanin in, in the skin. Modern scientific research has shown that the amimajos root contains an organic chemical substance called 8-methyloxysorate, which stimulates melanocytes and increases skin pigmentation. Medical practitioners in Kemet were often specialists who treated specific disorders. Archaeologists have discovered cancerous tumors in some ancient mummies and evidence that the ancient physicians were removing tumors with knives or red-hot irons as late as 1600 BCE. Historical records have also provided the name of the earliest female physician, Prechette, a woman who also held the title of chief physician. Mathematics. Much of what is known about Nile Valley mathematics can be found in a document called the Rhind Mathematical Papyrus, which was purchased by the Scotsman Alexander Rhind and brought to London. This 
ancient papyrus was discovered in the mid-19th century and was believed to have been written during the Middle Kingdom, circa 1900 BCE, by the scribe Ahmos. The text consists of more than 80 mathematical problems and their solutions. This papyrus is said to be a copy of a much earlier document, which was originally written as a mathematical textbook for children. Sheikh Antadiop holds this document in the highest regard. He states, Exercises 56, 57, 58, 59, and 60 of the Rhind papyrus show us that the Egyptians, 2,000 years before the Greeks, studied the mathematics of the pyramid and of the cone, and that they even used the different trigonometric lines, the tangent, the sine, the cosine, the, co- the cotangent, in order to calculate their slopes. Some of the problems addressed in this papyrus include the surface of the sphere, the square root Pythagorean theorem, the quadrature of the circle, the volume of a sphere, and the methods for determining the surface of the circle, rectangle, trapezium, and triangle. One of the most interesting elements of the Rhine papyrus is problem 79, which deals with a geometric progression of a ratio of 7. In the text, this problem is called the inventory of goods contained in a house. It states, there are seven houses. In each house, there are seven cats. Each cat kills seven mice. Each mouse had eaten seven grains. Each grain would have, ha- would have produced seven hecat. What is the sum of all the enumerated elements? The solution to the problem is as follows. Seven houses, 49 cats, 343 mice, 2,401 grains, 16,807 hecat of grain, 19,607 total. This problem is designed to show that in each of seven houses there are seven cats. Each cat caught seven mice. Each mouse ate seven grains of corn, and each grain of corn would have produced seven hecat of grain. Another way of writing the problem is seven, seven times seven, Seven times seven times seven, seven times seven times seven times seven, seven times seven times seven times seven times seven. At each stage of the problem, the sum is obtained by increasing the previous sum by one and multiplying by the common ratio. The sum of the series of four terms was 2,800. When this is increased by one, it becomes 2,801. And by multiplying 2,801 by seven, gives the sum to five terms. Most people will recognize a profound similarity between Problem 79 and the well-known Mother Goose nursery rhyme, As I Was Going to St. Ives. As I was going to St. Ives, I met a man with seven wives. Each wife had seven sacks. Each sack had seven cats. Each cat had seven kittens. Kittens, cats, sacks, wives. How many were going to St. Ives? This rhyme is more of a riddle than an algebraic problem because the answer is one. The traveler is the only one going to St. Ives, while the group that he encounters is returning from St. Ives. If one is unaware that this is a trick question, one would probably attempt to solve the geometric progression. This version of problem 79 was introduced into Europe approximately 3,500 years after its creation. Although similar mathematical problems can also be found in the papyrus of Moscow. There are many who wish to attribute the development of higher mathematics to the Greeks, despite their proclaimed indebtedness to the priests of the Nile Valley. 
Gay Robbins and Charles shoot offer the following conclusions in their book, The Rhind Mathematical Papyrus, an Ancient Egyptian Text. Poclus, in his commentary on Euclid following Herodotus, wrote that geometry had an Egyptian origin arising out of the necessity of resurveying the land after each inundation. Aristotle, Metaphysics 1i16, on the other hand, attributed the birth of mathematics in Egypt to the existence of a priestly, leisured class. Perhaps the most enduring effect of Egyptian mathematics was the stimulus that it gave to the Greeks, who then traveled beyond mere calculation into the realms of abstract thought, in which case the Greek achievement will have owed something to the learning meticulously and patiently handed on by the Egyptians from generation to generation since early times. Mineralogy Mineralogy Mineralogy? Mineralogy. Huh. Visitors to the various Egyptian museums found throughout the world often marvel at the priceless treasures that were created in ancient times. Aside from the numerous papyri, monumental architecture, and phenomenal paintings, the artisans of the Nile Valley were also skilled jewelers who fashioned works of art made of gold, silver, and semi-precious stones. One area that is often overlooked is the development of mining precious metals in Kemet and Nubia. Scientists acknowledge that there are more than 90 ancient Egyptian gold mines in the Egyptian desert, but there were probably hundreds of mines in Nubia, which was the primary source of that precious ore. In fact, the word Nubia makes reference to a region with abundant gold reserves. Modern geologists have discovered some interesting similarities between ancient drilling techniques and contemporary ones. For example, in the ancient mine of Hotet, near the Abu Dar Mountains in the southern part of the eastern desert, one will find evidence of gold mining in black Morian veins. These same veins are known to be abundant sources of gold ore and are referred to as auriferous quartz veins. The ancient Nile Valley miners drilled shafts with an angle of 45 degrees, which is the same angle used by geologists today. This specific procedure for extracting minerals has not changed significantly over the passage of time. An article in the Egyptian Gazette, July 15, 1990, referenced the Nile Valley influence on mineral, mineral, mineralogy, mineral, M-I-N-E-R-A-L-O-G-Y, mineralogy, mineralogy. Ancient Egyptians made a lot of progress in the mining sciences. They drilled some mines needing 400 workers with a depth of more than 250 meters, 825 feet. Ancient Egyptians also knew how to produce contouring maps. The oldest one is housed in the Torin Museum in Italy. It depicts one of the old gold mines in the eastern desert and was discovered in the 19th century. This map refers to El Fokker 
mine and also to a series of gold mines lying in the desert between Luxor and the Red Sea. As with any mining project, problems were bound to arise during excavations. When the ancient miners encountered flooding, they used devices such as the continuous screw to pump water out of the mines. This device was in use hundreds of years before it had been quote-unquote invented by Archimedes. The ancient scientist Diodorus of Sicily verified the Nile Valley origins of this device when he stated that miners in ancient Kemet pumped water out of mines by using screws that Archimedes of Syracuse invented during his trip to Egypt. Shipbuilding The ability of the people of Kemet, Nubia, and Ethiopia to explore new worlds, transport goods, and ferry huge monoliths for temple construction was facilitated by their capacity to build and navigate a variety of seagoing vessels. Papyrus reed boats have been in use in the Nile Valley since the earliest dynasties, and the development of navigational skills allowed for the building of larger ships and travel to other lands. The first use of a sail on a ship has also been traced to the Nile Valley. The historical record of Kemet is replete with numerous examples of seafaring abilities. Seneferu, the first king of the fourth dynasty, was said to have sent a fleet of 40 ships to Lebanon, and by the 12th dynasty, Ka Kepra Re Sin Wosret I, also known to the Greeks as Kekrops, had crossed the Mediterranean Sea and founded the city of Athens in Greece in the 25th dynasty during the reign of. Neko II, navigational technology had advanced to the point where sailors from Kemet successfully circumnavigated Africa and drew an extremely accurate map of the continent. In 1970, the Norwegian-born ethnologist Thor Heyerdahl and a crew of seven sailed a papyrus reed boat named Ra II from the west coast of Africa to the Caribbean. Heyerdahl based the design of his boat on paintings found in Nile Valley monuments, and he hired Africans to construct the ship. His aim was to prove that sailors from Kemet could have sailed in similar boats across the Atlantic Ocean to the quote-unquote New World. The most impressive ancient ship ever discovered was the 4,600-year-old barge found buried near the Great Pyramid of Khufu at Giza in 1954. This 132-foot gondola-shaped vessel weighed an estimated 35 tons and was built almost entirely of Lebanese cedar wood. The entire craft was made of 1,224 pieces of wood, which were literally sewn together with ropes strung through slits on the inside of the hull. It was equipped with 10 oars for rowing and two others which were attached to the stern and served as rudders. In the fall of 1991, Egyptologists discovered a fleet of 12 royal ships, which were found at Abydos in an ancient burial ground 280 miles south of Cairo. These ships are 50 to 60 feet long and are estimated to be about 5,000 years old. They are believed to be the earliest boats found on Earth. Aeronautical Engineering Nile Valley Civilizations have been noted for a number of historical firsts, including writing, law, 
architecture, and religion, but there now appears to be a new and unexpected field of study that can be added to the long list of Nile Valley firsts, the experimentation with aeronautical engineering. In 1898, scientists discovered a model of what was believed to be a bird. It was found in Saqqara, which is located 15 miles south of Cairo. This bird of Saqqara, as it was called, was made of, a, of sycamore wood in the 4th or 3rd century BCE, and it was eventually placed among a collection of other bird models in the Cairo Museum, where it went unnoticed for 71 years. In 1969, a physician by the name of Dr. Khalil Messiah discovered the bird of Saqqara as he was looking through a box of bird models in a storeroom of the museum. To his surprise, the Saqqara bird was distinctly different from the other bird models. Upon seeing the model, he realized that it lacked the bird-like decorations of the other models. Its wings were on top of its body instead of protruding from its side, and it had a vertical tail as opposed to the traditional horizontal tail one would expect to see on a real bird or a model of one. All of these peculiarities caused Dr. Messiah, who was also an artist and model aircraft amateur, to remark, it was very much like some of the scale model planes which I used to make 20 years ago. Dr. Messiah was allowed to take the measurements of the quote-unquote bird in order to construct an accurate scale model. When the model was completed and thrown into the air, it actually glided several yards. Dr. Messiah's brother, Gerges, who was a flight engineer, stated that the aerofoil shape of the body was intentionally designed to lessen drag and that knowledge of this effect was not discovered by aeronautical engineers until relatively recently. An official at the National Aeronautical and Space Administration, NASA, has taken a great interest in this discovery and his analysis of the model is as follows. The model is that of a monoplane which has negative dihedral angled wings that provide for greater stability in flight. Its body has an aerofoil shape which increases in thickness under the wing areas and then tapers off as it extends to the tail section. It looks remarkably futuristic and bears a close resemblance to the American Hercules transport aircraft which also has negative dihedral wings. As a result of the renewed interest in the model by members of the International Aerospace Education Committee, the Cairo Museum relabeled this artifact the Glider of Saqqara and showcased it in a special aeroplane ex exhibition in 1972. Further research has revealed that the person who invented the glider was called Padi Imen, a name which means the gift of Amon. It is believed that Padi Imen made several models before perfecting the one now on exhibit, and it is also felt that a full-scale model of the glider has yet to be discovered somewhere under the desert sands near Saqqara.